by definition, coaching is a is partnering and a thought provoking and creative process to maximize personal and prof- professional potential. What does it look like? It looks like an intentional conversation, right? It's the opportunity to have a conversation with someone who has no judgment or agenda of their own. This is Found in the Rockies, a podcast about the startup ecosystem in the Rocky Mountain region, featuring the founders, funders, and contributors, and most importantly, the stories of what they're building. I'm Les Craig from Next Frontier Capital, and on today's show, we're going to explore a critical and relevant topic for all founders, and frankly, for all people, but people in our region, this is something everybody needs to listen to. Today, we're going to talk about optimizing personal and professional performance through coaching. And also we'll dive into the topic of mental health a little bit as well. And to explore those topics, I'm so excited to invite two guests to the show today. First, we have Scott Walgren. Scott is the founder and CEO of Credo Performance Coaching. He coaches founders and entrepreneurs through goal setting and through the startup process. And we also have Matt Mazdam, who is going to help us provide a founder perspective on coaching and on this subject. And Matt is an entrepreneur who is the co-founder at Pecos Outdoor. So welcome, gentlemen. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here. Thanks, Les. Yeah. To start off, Scott, why don't you why don't you kick it off? And I'd love for you to share a little bit about you, your background, and how you got into performance coaching. Absolutely. Excited to be here with you today. Appreciate the invitation. A little bit about me. I'll start with how I got into performance coaching to begin with. It will take us where we want to be, right? I found coaching as I was leaving the military. At the time, I saw this really cool intersection of the leadership and mentorship that I loved about wearing a uniform. Not understanding that's not necessarily the roots of what coaching was to begin with. So I jumped into a certification program, and the more I learned and practiced around coaching, and the more I received worked with a coach myself, the more I understood that the potential that I could unlock in me, despite having a great career in the Navy, it helped me understand myself in a way that I didn't before. So my background, I spent 20 years flying helicopters in the Navy. I spent the last four years as a nonprofit executive and a transition coach. So that was your first out of the military. That's That was your first civilian job after a 20-year career. Yep, that's exactly right. Cool. And ironically, I was supporting people like me in their transition. And yeah, so, you were an expert. You're an expert in it right out of the gate. It was awesome. It was so yeah. much fun. And I, and so the process, I learned as much about myself in, 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 in learning about coaching as I did about, about supporting others in that process. So that's what brought me here today. I started this business in January as a way to continue to serve. And that's what I feel called to do. Awesome. Very cool. And what I think it's really interesting, g- given your background as a veteran, and a lot of people think of military service, oh, like intangibles, leadership, this and that. But maybe just quickly comment on what is what were some of the biggest challenges of your transition? Because I imagine there's parallels there where for founders that are like, oh, I had a corporate job and now I'm starting a company. What are some of the challenges of, of major, I call it midlife transition? I don't know if that's a that's a word. We should make, uh, yeah, I coined it right there. Midlife transition. Not midlife crisis. Midlife transition. 
Tell us about it. Everyone is in transition all the time, phrase that uh, I like to repeat, right? No, there are parallels. That's part of what is so exciting about this conversation. In working with veterans in transitions, there's a ton of identity to work through. And for folks to understand who they are when they take the uniform off, who were you before and who are you now? Difficult with so much that's tied to that, to that uniform. And I think there's a similar challenge with founders. There's a lot of identity, right? As you take this idea and you nurture it into something that's really unique, and then you grow a team around you, the identity of the founder is going to form, inform so much of that. And so being aware of blind spots as you're navigating that path, as you have lots of stakeholders and partners who are going to in, inform what the journey looks like with you, remaining aware of how you see the world and why you see the world that way and how it's helping you or not helping you, I think is really important. So there are definitely some parallels in those two demographics, really fun to play with. Very cool. Lots I want to peel back there. I want to give Matt an opportunity to introduce himself first, but first really quick, where'd you grow up and how did you end up in, you're in Bozeman now. How'd you end up in Bozeman? How'd you end up in the Rockies? Great question. So I'd like to say I'm the son of a sailor. Lots of, mil <laughs> lots of military in my background. My, my dad spent couple of decades in the Navy. I spent a couple of decades in the Navy. Our second to last assignment in uniform was at the base of the Alps in a little town called Oberammergau, Germany. Completely life-changing for my wife and uh, me for the three years that we were there, right? We were skiing and camping and mountain biking. And we, Kath and I looked at each other during that time and said, how do we do this forever? And so that kind of started the search. And we looked from Durango to Coeur d'Alene at some point very six months before I finished that Navy adventure, somebody said, have you looked at Bozeman, Montana? And we came, we visited, we fell in love with everybody that we met. We pulled the trigger. And so we landed here in August of 2018. Amazing. You son of a son of a son of a sailor. <laughs> Finding love in the Rockies and in the mountains and landlocked territory. Amazing. Very cool. Matt, tell us about your background. Where'd you grow up and what led you to this cool opportunity to be a founder? So I'm a veteran as well. It's often easiest to walk it backwards, but I'm going to try to go forwards just for sake of chron chronologic time. So I'm originally from Nebraska. My family has a ranch in Steamboat Springs. So we make our way out to the Rockies quite a bit and we love it. Love it. I went to Michigan for school and met some seals through school. And so sorry I went to, to hear that. I'm really sorry. Yeah, it's healthy. <laughs> yeah. Healthy. Went to Bud's right after college and made it through buds wow. first time, which was really nice. And so it's a rarity, but then, so it was pre nine 11. So I had deployments pre nine 11 and then Afghanistan, Iraq, post nine 11 and other places as well. And then fast forward a few years, my last job on active duty was carrying the nuclear codes for the president. And so we were in DC. Is that it? You couldn't do something more important or relevant than that? Than... It was a fun job. I'll tell you though, it is intense. And so it's like, you're, you can't screw anything up. <laughs> I hope not because we wouldn't be here. It'd be the That's end right. Of the world. That's right. And so way, it's it... crazy small world. Were, were you on that, that detail at the same time? Rick Turner, you know, Rick? I know him, yeah, but Rick... I, we weren't at the same, okay. at the same time. Interesting. So the army guy was Barrett Bernard. Okay. Let's and yeah, yeah but, Rick, um, Rick was a dear friend of mine. We were on brigade staff at West Point together. So small, oh, world, very crazy. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so when we, when I got done with that job, I had two kids while at the white house and then I wanted to, Laura and I wanted to stay in DC in the DC area. 
and you meet a lot of people when you go to the, when you work at a place like the White House. And so I had met a bunch of Under Armour guys and they're like, hey, come out this way. And so Under Armour's in Baltimore, it's drivable from DC. So one of the skill sets is very translatable from the military to really our operations and strategy. And so I started with strategy at Under Armour and worked my way into e-commerce operations. So I so learned the apparel world through that. Hmm. And then I was I broke off from there with a group of Under Armour guys and founded a denim company called Revtown in Pittsburgh. So I was there, I was a CEO there for three years and then got poached to go to Pecos Outdoor um, two and a half years ago-ish, starting up there. And it's outdoor products, so it's a little less on the apparel side, but all American-made stuff, which is a which is wonderful and something that we're proud of. And But co-founder there and great team. Very cool. Very fun. What a story. What a, what a, what an amazing journey. And I got to tell you guys, you're so not, we've never had a veteran on Found of the Rockies. I guess technically I'm on it every episode. That, that doesn't count. But not only do we have one veteran on today, we got two. It's amazing. It's great. It's the veteran episode. We'll put like an American flag three. on the right. dial. Yeah. Or three. Yeah. Sorry. I always forget myself. Anyway, <laughs> very cool. I'm so excited to have you both. And I think it's cool because the dynamic here today where we can talk about really the theme that I want to peel back and explore for our founders in the region is just how important it is to think about coaching as a resource. And also, it's always a hot topic in the startup world, also a hot topic in the veteran world as well, but mental health. And so I really would love to explore some of the questions there as it relates to the workplace and as it relates to companies. So it's cool to have this dynamic of a coach and a founder on the cast today. So thank you both for joining us. Scott, why don't you to begin, why don't you take us through just maybe a general description of what you do and what, it, what this process is of performance, professional coaching, performance coaching. What is this? For somebody that's never heard of this before, what is it? It's a great place to start. And I laugh about it because the term coaching gets thrown around willy-nilly today, right? Mm -hmm. One and their brother and sister are a coach of some sort. So the barrier to use that term in your title is low. And the the truth about it is certified professional coaches are a very specific and unique demographic, meaning there is a there is an accreditation and certification process. There are continuing education requirements. There's a code of ethics that, that we abide by, right? So it is formal and it is professional. So first thing to understand when you're thinking about working with a coach is, is knowing what your own requirements are with that individual that you want to work with. So what does it look like? By definition, coaching is a is partnering in a thought-provoking and creative process to maximize personal and prof- professional potential. What does that mean? Yeah, what it sounds it, like something a coach would say. What does it look <laughs> <Sorry>. like? <laughs> it looks like an intentional conversation. It's the opportunity mm. to have a conversation with someone who has no judgment or mm. agenda of their own, right? Mm -hmm. Thing is in service of the client. And let's be honest, right? We don't have conversations with people that have no judgment, right? Not our peers, not our spouses, not our kids, not our colleagues, right? Those those conversations. Definitely not board members. Not board members that has an opinion and judgment about the things that we share. So having a conversation- Probably even if we don't intentionally 
there, there's just natural judgment that we like, it's even if it's human. not intentionally judgmental. It's human. It's, it, yeah. it, it's human nature. So the, that's what, that's part of what makes these relationships so special is that a coach is always in service of their client's agenda, right? The intention of moving, helping someone move from where they are to where they want to be. And goal setting is relatively easy. Figuring out the behaviors and beliefs that are inhibiting progress, that's not always easy because we're all mm -hmm. good at setting goals and then rationalizing why we didn't achieve them or we didn't achieve them in the time that we wanted or what got distracted or the goal changed um, because we're human, right? So that process looks like a series of conversations, thought exercises, goal setting and accountability processes to help an individual move from where they are to where they want to be. And that's really what it looks like as a series of conversations. And there's as much progress and work that happens in between coaching sessions as can happen in a coaching session, because it is a, it's a transformative process. As you start to think about your thinking and uncovering blind spots, uncovering how your belief systems inform how you show up every day and whether they're serving you or not serving you. All right, Matt, I'm going to pit you against the coach with a question here. I'll be pitting you guys against each other all day, probably. No. So Matt, I'm sure you have mentors. You have, I'm sure you have advisors. I'm sure you have, why don't they do the same thing that, that a coach that Scott could do for you? You've got a, yeah, a mentor, you have coffee with, they're not judging you. They're not, what's the difference? I would say they're, your coach isn't a stakeholder in any capacity. So mm -hmm. Your family, your mentors, they want to see you do certain things, I think, even through the process. A coach wants to help you achieve what you say you want to do. And so it's it's really about unlocking your potential and having somebody who has no um, connection to you help keep you on track for what you want to accomplish. Awesome. And what are, I'm sure you're, I know you're married to a professional coach as well as having used them, I'm sure, but what are just some of the benefits that you have experienced and just, just to highlight for other founders that are in a similar situation to, to you? There are tons. And so it, it's a long list, but they help you see around corners. They help you identify options and gate through those options as you're going forward. They give you perspective on what you're doing they can increase your network so that they, you can use their network to reach out to other people. They can be a sounding board for ideas that you don't have to worry about how you say things or if an idea is totally stupid or off the wall, you can bounce it off and they can say, whoa, no. You can vent on them emotionally from that mental health perspective. You can say like, you can say what you want to say to them and probably what you wanted to say to someone else, but you didn't say. It can help you personally. Like it's not therapy, but it helps you avoid landmines in life if that's what's overwhelming you at the moment. And it helps keep you on track for your goals. Interesting. So you, you highlighted on something there that I think is at the end there that's fascinating. So it's, there's naturally a connection between my work, my personal life, my family. And so... I think what you suggested there, and Scott, I'd be curious to to hear your perspective on how this stuff is connected and how you can help people resolve it. But often, especially for startup founders, it's intense. Like it's like a second marriage, right? Like my relationship with co-founder is like a second spouse. My relationship with my company, I'm probably spending more time in the company than I am with my family. How does the intertwining of all that create complexity that as a coach, Scott, you have to work on or resolve It starts with levels of self-awareness, which 
when everything is important all the time can start to slip, right? If everything's important all the time and you're prioritizing everything else and not yourself, um, it gets stressful, it gets anxious, and it's tiring. So the opportunity to create space, to understand how these influences are informing what's going on in your life is important because it helps to to de-stress, to contextualize what's happening, and to become less reactive and more responsive. When time is tight, tensions are high, requirements are everywhere, it's really easy to get anxious and to think, I can do this, I will just work all the time. And at the same time, so what that does is it makes us all less effective. Even when but, we By the way, we let's, let's pause there for a self-reflection of every entrepreneur who ever lived. Because yeah, that's it. Like you said it. Like that's... Anybody listening to this podcast right now that's ever started anything, started a company, like how easy is it to just fill your time with work? Not healthy. Not healthy. And in preparing for this, talking with a friend of mine who's been a founder in several instances and what he talks about, he said, when you start this process, you've got this, you've got the sum of money and you've got a thousand things on a term sheet and nothing on that term sheet talks about taking care of yourself, establishing a culture building a cool team, right? Identifying and promoting the value, your values and the values of the thing that you're building, right? So part of what this process does is it creates space with non, a non-stakeholder to think about those things that are not on your term sheet, right? Which yeah. is really important to create time and space to do. I'm really glad you said that because it's so true. It's like, what is more important than anything else in a deal? It's the people. And not just the founders, it's the team, it's the leadership, it's the people. But we, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about that in the term sheet. It's actually something I talk about right before I close when I have that kind of final dinner, final break, breaking bread with the founder. I always talk about mental health and how important that is and taking care of yourself. But I'm glad you said it because this kind of begs the question. It's okay, so now I'm resourced. I closed an investment. And now it becomes a matter of like, where do I put those resources? Matt, what do you, what's your, actually, this is something I want both of you. We'll start with Matt on this one. But like, when do you need to engage? When do you need to reach out to, to find a coach? Is there a time? Is there a circumstance like to get the ball rolling? I would start when you start the company. And so you have an idea of what you want to do. And it, they're a really good accountability partner. And so when you're laying things out and saying, this is what I want to accomplish on the timeline that I want to get it done, they, they'll keep notes and say, hey, are we on track with all of that? And so in addition to all the things that we talked about before, I think they mm -hmm. help keep you on, on online with what you said you were going to do. So when you start the company, Scott, do you agree? That it, so it's, it's such a fun question, right? Because of the evolution that happens over the, over the course of this journey. I reflect on on my Navy career, extraordinarily linear, right? Very deliberate in increasing amounts of responsibility and accountability with regard to the size of the teams that you're leading. So you start slow, right? At year one, where you're supposed to be at year 20 and how your areas of influence are gonna grow over the course of that time. In terms of startups, right? Having a team of 10 people, requires a very different leader than having a budget of $10 million. So where does someone need a coach in that process? Those are two different leaders. So I think the evolution of the individual has to be front and center when this decision is made about who do I need to be today? How do I 
become the best version of that to support the mission that exists today and, and acknowledging that might be different in two years sure. and required a different way of showing up. So that's the piece of self-awareness I think that's really important in the conversation. So that actually, that leads me to another place, which is, does it potentially mean that there are certain coaches for different evolutions of the journey? Like a coach that fits me now might not be the one five years from now. Is that reasonable? Yeah, I think that's a really important conversation. So the relationship that you've talked about, we, and we've alluded to the fact that the conversation that you're having, have, having around the organization and the business, that's going to bleed into your personal life too. Because you, as you become more aware of yourself, it's going to inform how you show up differently for your family at the same time. And so there's a level of trust and intimacy that's really unique in this conversation. So that when you make that first decision is important with regard to who you are working with. And is that a good fit for you? Because it is an investment. N understanding as that level of trust gets built, if that same person is the same person that is the right one to support you down the road is another deliberate decision. You talked to Matt about the difference between right a coach and a mentor. A mentor is going to give you advice. A mentor is going to provide some guidance based on his or her own journey and move you in different directions. Coaches won't do that. The idea that coaches are going to bring to the table are you have what you need to be successful. You just have to peel that onion back enough to understand what the right decision is for you, not for the coach, for the client. And so I think as that relationship grows, there's a probably a continuous reflective process to know whether that relationship is still serving where you are today or does it need to evolve? So it's a, it's an important question. And I don't think there's a singular answer for everyone. I think it's very individual. I like it. Good, good perspective on that. So what happens when, so let's say I'm a founder, I'm 20 minutes into the episode and I'm like, ah, oh, I needed to hear this. I, this is what I need. I like, I'm all, I'm identifying with all this stuff that these guys are talking about. What do I do, Matt? I want to coach. I'm a founder. What do you do? How do you find? You just Google like that could be dangerous. Like, what, but how do you find one of these mythical creatures that's going to put me on the right path? I would talk to your network and reach out to people you know that have been successful and say, hey, do you have this in your life? And where did you start? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, it's super valuable to, from a culture perspective, talk to people that you've, that are similar to you. They're going to give you they're going to put you in the right lane of the coaches that you want to talk to, in my opinion. Nice. And then is it like, is there like a draft then that happens? Like, how do I, do you, should I talk to multiple? Do you interview? What to just remove the, any barriers that folks might have? Scott, what do you recommend folks do to, to actually get to, I'm going to try this person? would highly recommend talking to more than one, to a handful of folks. And those individuals at the same time can provide introductions to others. I think good coaches have an abundance mindset, right? That this relationship will be productive for both of us if it fits. If it doesn't, we want to help you find the individual that's going to serve you best. Find a coach, have a compatibility conversation, and then ask if there are other coaches that they know of that they might be willing to introduce. Introduce. And if they yeah. say, I'm not, no, I don't know any others. I'm the one. That's probably be, a bad signal. Be skeptical. Be very skeptical. <laughs> exactly. okay. okay. It's about fit, right? If you can find the right fit and how much that person's going to challenge you, I think is important. So mm. some people, some coaches are challenging. They're like, you said you wanted to do this. And other people are better listeners. And so it depends what you need there. And, mm -hmm. and 
how that fits in your structure in your life. And Matt, what can I expect then? So now I've chosen the one that I'm going to get me to try out here for my first coach. What can I expect? What's it going to be like? What's the first? Is it like a one and done? Oh, I solved all my problems. Is this, am I signing up for a year journey? What do I expect? And then Scott, I'd love to get your perspective on what you do as like your technique. You bet. I can, uh, you have to expect some time to get to know each other. And mm-hmm. so it, it takes somewhere between three and five sessions probably to get to know each other and be comfortable enough to be vulnerable and say the things that you really want to say. Cause you have to build up some trust and rapport before you're willing to just let it all out. And so I think that's happening over the course of weeks to months. Scott and I've communicated about this a little bit, like how often do you do coaching? And I would say every couple of weeks and then maybe get it to the point where it's every month. And then anytime something big pops up, you can reach out and say, hey, I've got this thing going on. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Or I've got this thing going up. How does this fit? Like in your opinion, how does this fit in the whole of what I'm trying to accomplish? And have those conversations conversations and talk it through, I think is a great opportunity. So weeks to months to get going. Okay. And Matt, do you recommend, obviously in today's world, I'm sure there's virtual offerings in person. Does it make a difference? Or is this somebody that like you, you really want to have a personal like boots on the ground relationship with? I've never seen anybody have in person. Oh, personally. It's, it's, I've, ah. every person I've known is virtual and maybe occasionally yeah. semi-annually, annually they would meet, but Scott, uh, I turn that over to you. Like I've never seen an in-person session for me or like my wife is a coach. I cannot think of a single time and you know, hundreds of it's good to know. Yeah. So. Good to know. No, I think that's that that's super accurate. The way that I like to structure the offering, the support, right, is typically a 12 session model, right? That's where you start. And like Matt described, the opportunity to talk every other week at the beginning, right? For the first four sessions, I think is helpful because there's a lot of trust to be built in that in that initial couple of months. And then it kind of depends on the individual and what's being worked on. So sometimes it's helpful to continue a and every other week cadence. And sometimes you can spread that out to, to once a month. Our schedules are dynamic, right? Travel, holidays. Yeah. So it depends on, on, on the amount of work. And like I said, there's as much that happens in between sessions as can happen in the time that you spend together. So just because you're not meeting every other week does not mean that time is not fruitful and they're not progressing. Right. So that's important to know. So that's how I have structured mine in the past is this 12 session. And then very often the work will continue at that point. And so there's a cadence that happens as transformation occurs. And as Matt described, I've had over the course of the last four years, I've been in the same room with my client maybe three times, super rare. And even at the point where I'm working with somebody that's that's here, right? In Bozeman with me, We've met in person and then we've switched to virtual. It's just so convenient, right? Yeah. To be able to click go on the computer and, totally. and we're there. So I think that if you've got the luxury and it is a luxury to be in the same room with someone in the early stages, that can be helpful to, to be face-to-face. And it is certainly not game changer. It's a luxury. Yeah. I think there's also a lot more to it. Like the coach has to get in the right physical place, wearing the right clothes. You have to be in the right location. And so does the coach. The coached has to yeah. be that way too. You present yourself in a certain way. And when you're 
virtual, you can, it can be on the phone. It can be in your office. Like in it, your slippers. it's already set. Yeah. That's right. And so yeah. it doesn't, I think it adds a layer of complexity, honestly, yeah. to be yeah. in person. It's interesting that you said that. Cause I, I think back a coach that I had when I was in Baltimore, when I was running my first startup and she was incredible. Uh, we had probably two, two or so years worth of interactions and I did, I met her like eight years later and it was actually awkward. It was awkward meeting her for the first time. I'm like, cause we had this, it's once you develop that rapport with this phone call person, I didn't even, I was like, oh, you're shorter than I thought you were. Yes. It's this weird. Yeah. It's almost like this person that exists, but they're, but they're not, you know, I don't know. So I get that virtual works because that's my experience. What about, what about I'm there now. Okay, I got this. I got it done. And now I see how much it costs. Is this a problem? The sticker shock. Oh my gosh. Hourly. This is so expensive. What can you do to break down some of the barriers there? Is there like a Starbucks cappuccino a day model where it's cheaper than that latte? I just, I think this is so important to peel back because the sticker shock will get people on this, but it's like they can't afford not to. So like, how do you get founders over that? It's, it is, it's a balance. I don't really the opportunity to use the coaching tool of reframing, right? How are you looking at this? Are you looking at this as sunk cost? Are you looking at this as an opportunity? Are you looking at this mm. in investment in growth? Co right? We don't hesitate to potentially hire a personal trainer or work with a dietitian. How many professionals who are experts in their fields are we fine investing in, right? I have no problem subscribing to a program because it's going to improve this area of my life. I think the opportunity to look at coaching in the same way is really significant, right? The opportunity mm -hmm. to understand ourselves in a very different way. The opportunity to invest in our effectiveness in our contribution. That's the conversation that someone has with themselves, right? This is going to increase my confidence. It's going to increase my impact. It's going to decrease my stress. Is there, a, we don't typically think about a dollar amount that we're willing to associate with those things. Yeah. But the return on investment is tremendous. Right. Yeah. Matt, do you have I would any? say, yeah. like I have two points, but like one good conversation is worth it. If you're in your A round and you're trying to land that $3 million and you have the right conversation with your coach, so you go in the room and knock it out of the park, that was worth potentially your company. Potentially right. three million bucks. Everything, you know what I mean. And yeah. so, like, and everything you get that's that wrong, the future. Yeah, exactly. If you get that yeah. wrong, you're done. And so, you can't even. I can't even place value on it. Yeah. And on the other hand, like, this isn't so often that it's terribly expensive, right? If you're doing it twice a month or monthly, it's not so much. Even if it's five hundred dollars an hour, it's not like killing you. So, uh, the potential for strategic impact is high in my opinion and and you want to avoid those landmines and like it's not so often that it's draining your bank account like that much yeah. it's absolutely worth it said both of you said what about on in terms of the process like we've talked kind of high level about what to expect what about just the individual sessions scott what do they look like how and just one reflection for me when i go back to as a founder being coached i reflect back on it and i'm like wow they didn't really say that much but i learned so much but sometimes on an hour-long call it's maybe the coach asked me like four questions so it's a mind bender but tell us about the process and what to expect in a session how that works i like to think of it as 
a coach holding up a mirror, right? And allowing a client to look at that mirror and look at that mirror and look and understand who's staring back. So it's a process of inquiry. Think of being asked questions and reflection. So a coach is going to ask a question about a specific thing. There will be an answer. There will be a reflection of saying, so I heard you say you're really anxious about X. What does that mean to you? The layering process to get to the root cause of a thought that's informing how you feel an emotion that's informing how you show up. I like to think of this as that's the thread that I'm searching for in the conversation, a thought that's linked to an emotion that's linked to a behavior. And sometimes it's, it, we think that the emotion comes first, which is not true. The emotion mm -hmm. doesn't come first. Our opportunity to be mindful of what ideas that are rattling around our head that are driving this reaction is what you're searching for. And so that's what those sessions look like. It's a conversation. And, and the, my goal is always to keep my partner talking way more than I'm talking because I will run out of answers. But that's not what I'm bringing to the conversation. She I'm won't bringing, run out of questions. will not run out of questions. Yeah. That's what I'm bringing to, cool. this, to this opportunity. Very cool. And what is there an expectation afterwards? Is there a homework assignment or do they do you give things to work on? How does that work in between these? Whether it's a month, it's like that's a lot of time. Yep. Great question. All based on the all based on the individual and what you're working towards. So absolutely, there's going to be homework assignments. It might be journaling. It might be writing it. I love to share podcasts and articles that will stretch thinking and allow the opportunity to have a perspective in a different way than exists at that moment. So there's typically always homework in between those sessions that continues to inform the process. Very cool. Matt, what about from the founder perspective? I'd love Scott described the detailed process and in between. How can you, is there anything specifically you could share if it's appropriate, just how you've benefited as a founder, maybe, maybe an example of a decision that you struggled with or something that a coach helped you navigate a good, a positive outcome. Is there any, anything that comes to mind, any stories or any ways more generally that you've benefited? I think that the coaching that I've had has helped me look forward a lot more. And so dealing with it, when you're in the day-to-day -day and you're running the day-to-day -day and you're raising money and you're setting the culture and you're hiring people, it's very time-consuming. You can get caught in the current. And I'm there are important things down the road that I will say, these are the things I want to accomplish. And they can help me. They can start thinking about it. And then they can start lining up some of their network to say, hey, have you had that conversation about that B round? 15 months in advance. And so you should talk to this guy because he had this experience and it's a really, it's really applicable to where you are. And they've been through this founder experience dozens of times. And there's some version of structure and routine to it for them where it's in, as a, as the founder, it's your first time, your second time doing it. And so it's nice to talk to somebody who's seen it from the sidelines and said, Hey, you ready for this is literally like having a coach say, this is coming, start thinking about it. And so it helps you see around corners and then it, you see the options that are available and you can have them, you can have conversations with them about each one of those options and how it best applies to your circumstance and your team. So it, it's been really good from a forward looking perspective for me. Awesome. Have you explored or considered advocating as the company grows or like, when is the time 
to get coaches for your your leaders and your subordinates in an organization. What's that? What's your perspective on that, Matt? I would say your top team should have some of them, depending on how big your team is. And then when people are going through a substantial work transition, I think it's beneficial. Right? You have somebody who's a subject matter expert, and all of a sudden they haven't led anybody ever, and they're 35 years old. Getting them some leadership and coaching so that they can lead a team if that's their next step is really valuable. So if they're leading six or 10 people and they haven't had to do it before and all they've done is trading or marketing or whatever it is, like it's helpful to set the groundwork and then have somebody saying like, how's that going? Have you thought about this? Tell me about that experience. And it helps people reflect and perform a little bit better as they're a leader in the company. I think that's, that is such an important idea. It's that we promote this app. We see this in corporate America all the time. We promote people based on their talent and their skill, their hard skill set, their academic contribution. And then we make, we put them in charge of people, which is something that they've not done before. And the art and science of leadership is not something that's automatic for us. It requires intention. It requires practice. It requires reflection. It requires support. So supporting people when they're given responsibility for managing or leading others is really, again, an investment in developing that individual so they can continue to grow in that role, which requires time and space. Yeah, it's such it's so, it's definitely worth mentioning because I think it's one of the greatest challenges as startups grow. It's like you can be an amazing individual contributor, but can't lead your way out of a wet paper bag. And people often go, "Oh, the military, like you get leadership," and it's like the reason why it's nothing. There's nothing. There's no magic science about it. It's just because you're 20 years old, 20, 22 years old. The military just throws you into these leadership positions. Like, here's an infantry platoon you're in charge of, and it's learn how to lead or. Like the consequences of death, not to trivialize it or over-exaggerate, but it's, it's crazy to think that we do that. But you're like, you're so right, Scott. It's like in these companies where you have people that are mid-career that have had amazing journeys as individual contributors. Now all of a sudden, poof, you're a manager, probably need a coach. <laughs> I was having a conversation yesterday. It was a goal setting session with an individual who managed one person and he was brave enough to say i don't enjoy that part of my job i'm really good i'm really good at the research i'm really good at crunching numbers this is where i am fulfilled and i'm responsible for this person and i don't enjoy it i'm like just being able to say that out yeah. loud to say that out loud and acknowledge it is a starting point to grow incredible uh, that took a lot of courage sure did but and without a totally coach who would he say that to Right. That's right. There we go. All right. Plugging you. All right. I'm sorry, Matt. I interrupted. But no, and it's a totally different skill set to be a part of a small, cohesive, like intimate team or to be in charge of 3000 people. Right. Mm -hmm. Like those kind of things need to be talked about, too. And if you're making a transition from a tight team to like big management, like that would be worthy of getting a coach. Great so point. Great point. those are different skill sets and it's all leadership, but it's different. So as we wind down the episode a little bit with a little bit more time, one thing I do want to just peel back a little bit on is an important topic, a serious topic, and that's mental health. Talked about the benefits in terms of optimizing performance, optimizing decision-making, all that stuff, paths. What about, Scott, as a certified trained professional, you have skill sets. What happens if somebody is literally having 
some really serious mental health challenges, depression. Are you trained to deal with that? Or as a coach, like if somebody brings that stuff up to you, like how does that work? Can you help them get help with a different type of professional? Just, I'm just wondering like how to navigate that. Cause like a lot of times a coaching role could be the first line of defense for a founder that needs, needs help. Great question. It brings us back to the beginning of this conversation. Mm-hmm. We talked about finding a coach that is certified by the International Coaching Federation that abides by a code of ethics. And so part of that code of ethics would tell us that if that we are not clinicians, coaches are not clinicians, our training is forward-looking and to help some, move someone forward. When you start to identify items that have to do with mental health, that really need to be supported by a therapist. Our ethical obligation is to provide a referral to a counselor or a therapist and move somebody and move someone in that direction. That's not to say that you can't pursue therapy and coaching at the same time, but they are very different services. They have different focus. No, the answer to your question is coaches are not qualified to provide therapeutic counseling services. Mm -hmm. We do make referrals. Coaching can be therapeutic. It is not therapy. Got it. Great. I'm glad we really, we drew that. That's good. Matt, anything to add to that? Just in terms of as a founder, as somebody who's had coaching, does it help you maintain at least a better outlook, better mental health? more? I think it does for sure. And certainly it lets you vent on somebody who isn't going to throw it back at you. But just acknowledging that being a founder can be lonely and stressful and nonstop. Like the work never, kind of never ends. So having somebody that you can talk to about that is is very valuable. Awesome. So my last question for you guys is try to do a kind of a, a more of a philosophical one here. Should we all have coaches? Should coaches, Scott, <laughs> should coaches have coaches? <laughs> Coaches should have coaches and you should have doubts about coaches who do not have coaches, right? It's a modality that we believe in. In order to grow, stretch, challenge ourselves, you need a partner in that effort, right? You need accountability in that effort. And that's what coaches provide. So I, I'm, a, I'm an advocate for everyone to have a coach all the time. That shouldn't surprise you. It's why That's why I love doing what I do. But I also want to be challenged in my personal and professional endeavors. And yes, working with a coach is very important to me too. I think everyone should have a coach all the time. It does nothing but help us be the best version of ourselves. And that's the goal. Call to action. So if you're not interested in being the best version of your health of yourself, maybe a coach isn't for you. I would just go. throw that out there. Matt, anything to add to that? Like just a call to action for founders? I mean, I think it, it certainly helps you unlock your potential. I, like what I want to say from my gut is if you're leading people, you should have a coach. Mm. And so it, it just like helps that. you impact their lives and, better and for you to make the right decisions about what you're doing and the people you're leading. Awesome. Guys, I just got to say such a great dynamic on today's episode. I'm so glad we did it this way. It was really cool having a founder and a coach for this featured episode. And also, and it's very sincerely, I think this is one of the most relevant and important episode topics that we've ever featured. I hope everybody that's listening give some serious consideration to their thinks about uh, optimizing them, themselves through 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 a coach. So thankful for your time. To conclude, why don't you each take a turn? Scott, you can start. Just tell our audience where they can find more about you and uh, Credo Performance Coaching online. You bet. First step, send me an email. The website, still in development. We're close, <laughs> but we're not there yet. 
It will. You need some will. engineer coaching to get right. that website done. Right. Yeah. CradoPerformanceCoaching.com is where it will be today. I'm at Scott at CradoPerformanceCoaching.com. And that's C R E D O, correct? That is C R E D O. You you nailed okay. it. All right. Just want to make Reach sure out. we got that spelling. Would love to have uh, a conversation. Matt, tell where can we find the Pecos? And for me, it's Pecos Outdoor, all one word, P-E-C-O-S Outdoor.com. And so we didn't talk about this, but it's really high in um, tables. Like imagine Yeti made a table. And so it's great for hunters and fishermen and people that are going to be using tables out outdoors, out in the woods. It makes your life a lot better. Very cool. Be sure to check that out. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks, Les. Thanks, Les. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Found in the Rockies. You can find links in the show notes or go to nextfrontiercapital.com to get transcripts, links, and contact information for today's guests. If you like what you heard and want more, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to get notified as our new episodes drop every two weeks. We'll see you next time.